Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me live in studio, she wouldn't start podcasting until I got her a Cherry Coke Zero. It's your friend and mine, Regan Lovett. <laughs> Regan, you're on the Not Quite Great Books podcast yet again. I'm honored. What what a thrilling delight. I, I also only agreed to do this because of the theme of this show and the chance to know your confirmation name. <laughs> That's the one of God's eternal mysteries. So we are talking about together The Young Pope this summer, Regan, um, a show you have not seen. Correct. Um, a show that I've seen a couple of times. So we're trying to like do a little bit of replicating the dynamic uh, of Danielle and I, her having not seen The Americans and me having not seen the Marvel shows last summer. Um, but you have some special Catholic expertise that's yes. going to work in your favor. Yep, yep. And Catholic education, strong Catholic family background, <laughs> went to a Catholic college. Great. We, we love to hear it. Um, and then, but like, wh- why did you agree when I just was like, Regan, I have a crazy idea. Let's <laughs> talk about the young Pope. Let's commit yourself to 10 hours of young Poping watching and have however many ungodly amount of hours we're podcasting for this summer. Well, one, to unpack our religious trauma together <laughs> as Catholic people. Um, <laughs> Two, to learn your confirmation name, God's Eternal Mystery. <laughs> and also three, to examine the hotness of Jude Law, the star. Yeah, this is a central drawing point um, in the advertising for the show and to like, get somebody to watch it because Jude Law, much like God's Mysteries, are is in fact eternal in his hotness. This is true. This is true. So we're going we're gonna to embark on this young Pope journey together um, in all transparency to the listeners. This is our second time recording Young Pope, episode one, um, because I totally fucked up the recording settings on the first one, and it was unlistenable. So Regan, being exceptionally generous, not only to agree to Young Pope podcasting, <laughs> but consenting to a totally new recording of episode one, take two. Well, it is what it is. It but. is what it is. It's God's plan. Um, God's plan. So, uh, The Young Pope episodes do not have names. They're just The Young Pope, episode one, a show directed by Paolo. Sorrentino, uh, written in this first episode by Paolo Sorrentino and Pepe Fiore. Paolo Sorrentino, the uh, creator, showrunner, mastermind behind The Young Pope, and it really is, I think, more so than uh, the Americans, at least, for not quite great boxing, um, and certainly that Marvel shows, it is the vision of somebody's kind of singular uh, creative peccadillos, let's say, as we will examine throughout this. And so, Regan, um, can you read the IMDb summary for this first episode? Yes. While Lenny Bellardo begins his pontificate as Pius XIII, he calls on Sister Mary, his childhood guardian, for help and begins to familiarize himself with the Vatican. Lovely. So I think a relevant question to start with, Regan, is what do you think this shows, I don't know, relationship to or approach on uh, Catholicism is based on this first episode? Um, okay. Keeping in mind that is, I think, very clear that Paolo Sorrentino is very immersed and all the show writers seem to be very immersed in um, the Italian version of Catholicism. I really think that it's glamorizes it, but mystifies it in like a really interesting way of like, oh God, look at these spooky Catholics. (laughs) They're doing weird stuff. Um, because the Vatican is a place that runs on this sort of air of mystery and like, you know, 
knowing all, you know, that he's the Pope is the direct contact God and the closest person to God. Um, and there's so much rich and Catholicism, of course, is rich in ritual and symbolism. And so the show's really running on like the idea, like, I think this is a show about Catholicism written for non-Catholics. I think that's a good way to put it. Do you think this show takes Catholicism seriously? Yes and no. Okay. I think it takes it seriously and that it wants to replicate a lot of the ritual in a palatable way. Um, but I also think it's poking fun at the absurdity of the power structure of Catholic, of Catholicism. Yeah. So, I mean, one, um, this is, you know, I think if I'm remembering correctly, the response of not quite great books, his favorite TV critic, Shanti Collins, talked about this is a show that examines the question, what if Catholicism and everything about it and all of its bullshit was entirely real and does so like in a very kind of genuine way in the way you pointed out. And then like, I, you know, I think the other half of the show or the other component of the show is that, um, it undercuts that seriousness at every point. Um, and through the figure of Lenny, through any number of ridiculous things that happen in this show. And like, but there's something about the mysticism of the show, and I think a lot of that is in the visuals, and a lot of that is in the sound design, mm-hmm. in addition to, like, it is in the writing or the plot or the acting, um, that, like, it's there. there is the mystical nature of the show itself that right. I think is, to your point, like, replicating some of the mystery of Catholicism that it seems to be interested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I also think, like, what do you, do you think that this is a show that's trying to get people to convert, John? or recommit myself as a like decade plus lapsed uh, Catholic who doesn't even know his confirmation (laughs) name I do not know my confirmation name my parents do not know my confirmation name my documentation of confirmation does not indicate it Um, so just I'm a terrible Catholic on many many levels and that just like goes in the ledger for the fucking pearly gates um, (laughs) that I didn't know my confirmation name Um, dear listeners for the record mine is Anne which is also my legal (laughs) middle <laughs> and uh, Regan, uh, our friend Taylor, and I determined that Larry the Cat, i.e., the icon of uh, not quite great books, that his confirmation name would be Gertrude. Yes. Yes. Versus for Gertrude of Novelles, the patron saint of cats. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Larry Gertrude or Larry Gertie for short, is I believe the official <laughs> ruling yes. um, of the three of us. I I don't think this show is actively trying to get people to convert, but I also don't think it's explicitly trying to, like, drive people away from the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church. I think it's kind of ambivalent to the effect this would have on non-Catholics' relationship to the Mm. Catholic Church, except for the point where you say it's a show about Catholicism made not necessarily for Catholics. Right, right. Do we want to give our church disclaimer? Yes. To see my episode? Um, yeah, I think so. We're maybe a little late even to do this disclaimer. So, like, the Catholic Church is a terrible, horrible, fucked institution deeply. Colonialist, misogynistic, patriarchal, racist, anti-queer, like, yep. uh, accumulators of unearned, oppressive colonial wealth. All of those terrible things. So, like, Regan and I are fully aware of that. Yes. I would say the only two good points that I will maybe occasionally bring up with about Catholicism is their dedication to charity and their dedication to the education of women through convents. And that's it. Yeah. Um, And, like, I will say, it's also interesting. I'm sure we'll get into this, because we talked about it when we recorded episode one uh, last week, is that, you know, the Jesuits have some interesting things. Like, I, you know, I essentially, like, in part... I learned how to do activism from uh, extremely left Jesuits 
uh, extremely leftist Jews and Quakers in Denver, Colorado. Like that's where I learned like how to do anti-war protests, where I learned how to protest and what it meant to organize. Like that's where I got some of like my political education from. So I guess I should acknowledge that as well. I'll give them one more benefit. They are anti-death penalty. That's true. Which I would, I would also say is in their, in their court. Yeah. I I enjoy a good progressive Catholic, but you have to be able to, we're fully critiquing the institution in this podcast. Yeah. As is the show, like, even for the ways that it will take it seriously or be, I think, genuinely quizzical about the mysteries of Catholicism, I don't think that Paolo Sortino or the creative team are like, you know what, the Catholic Church is like basically a good thing in society. Again, I think they're kind of ambivalent on that point as well. Mm-hmm. But Regan and I were aware of the problems of the Catholic Church. We're going to enjoy the hell out of this show. And it's a depiction of the Catholic Church nonetheless. And we don't think there's any issues with that at all. I don't. No, I don't think so either. I feel uncomplicated about this. All right. So does this first episode have a narrative structure? No. (laughs) Um, Does that bother you as someone trained in English? As someone trained in English and understanding (laughs) the structure of plot and story, I was so confused. I was like, what is happening? Because my other thought is that one thing is that whatever plot this first episode has could be put in literally any any workplace. (laughs) Like Lenny's first day at work is essentially the narrative structure of this and could be dropped anywhere. It could be in freaking Game of Thrones and Winterfell. I don't know. Um, could be at an office, could be at a school, like it could be literally anywhere. Romantic fiction about um, institutions of higher education. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that if we need to, but I think we should keep it in. I Yes, we can keep it in. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's, and again, like that's where there's something about the show's relationship to Catholicism that then has to provide the specificity of this particular show, of mm-hmm. this particular creative vision, because, as you point out, that like there's not necessarily something specific to the plot. When we abstract it even slightly from the location of the Vatican and the fact that we're talking about the young Pope, 47 right. years old, as we learn in the episode. Yes. It does open with two dream sequences, or dream within a dream yeah. sequences. Um, so I don't know, maybe let's take these in turn. So Regan, you sit down, you open, I guess it's now Max, it's no longer even HBO Max, but you open Max, right. um, the best named streamer, obviously. And I mean, you said you opened Max, and I immediately was like, oh, we're doing we're doing surgery on Goofy's son? <laughs> <laughs> what stu- stupid rebranding. They didn't think that one through at they, all. Seriously. Hear that, HBO? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll be checking out all of the podcasts about the, the minimal listeners to shows from six years ago. But uh, you open Max, you open up Young Pope, and you're like, oh, great, great. There's going to be some Jude Law. He's going to be hot. We're going to talk about right. Catholics. Right. And instead we get like a minute of like dead or almost dead babies what a piled choice. thousands on top of one another yes. um right with some shifting and running around um i was taken aback um my thoughts um as someone um trained in english um and took do um like reader response theory um <laughs> is uh Okay, so he's so the maybe dead babies we don't know. Is this Lenny scrabbling his way through the orphanage to success? Mm-hmm. Um, is it him feeling like he's the only adult in a room full of childish men, i.e., the other cardinals um, and archbishops? Um, is this his real thoughts on abortion, um, <laughs> or does he feel that he is also still a child? Kind of connecting to the scene we have later 
about using him as a puppet with the four mm. cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of and thinking about that. And then there's like the weird smoke and some odd choices in sound design, which I think we're going to get to a bit later. Um, so I, that was kind of where I <laughs> went. And then I thought, oh, it woke up. Like he actually woke up when the dream is having him wake up. Um, so the dream within a dream, I thought, was the it part of the dream. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter that it's the dream within the dream as opposed to the dream of Lenny Bellardo Pope? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer the question. Um, I thought, again, I um, really didn't question um, like the lighting style or anything because sometimes shows make those stylistic choices yeah. to wash things out or vivify the color. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely thought that when Dream Lenny wakes up, like, okay, first day of, of Pope Lenny, um, which I believe we'll be affectionately calling him throughout the series. That is like his official name, Pope Pius XIII, which Regan has brilliant thoughts on that we'll get to later. But like colloquially, he's Pope Lenny and will always in my heart be Pope Lenny. So I really thought that he wakes up and gives his St. Peter's (laughs) speech. And I really just thought, wow. Let's dream that Catholic church (laughs) into being. Be the Catholic Catholic church you want to to be in the world. Be the Catholic church you want to see in the world. Let's do it. The leftist leftist Catholic church. Yeah. Pro-masturbation, pro-birth control, pro-same-sex marriage. Pro-trans. Yeah, pro-queer rights, pro-science, pro-nuns saying math. (laughs) Pro-priests getting married to adult women. Yeah, absolutely. And then we find out that this is absolutely not his uh, real speech at all. When, like, a couple cardinals just, like, fall over dead in, like, a pure moment of, like, pratfall right. humor. Um, and then Voyello, like, comes up behind him and is like, Lenny, what are you saying? You're not even the Pope. You're not even a member of the church anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is when he then wakes up into his actual waking right. life. Yep. Um, so that was like, I really, I didn't, I had looked away from the TV to answer a question from my roommate at the point when the, when the Cardinals had fallen over. So I did miss that. Hence my, my, um, confusion. Um, and then, um, I had to watch the episode a second time to get my thoughts together, fortunately. But my first gut instinct was like, wow, what, what choices? Um, which is funny because I missed, um, you know, the sound choice to have the radio buzz and shift between frequencies um, and was said maybe not fully paying attention. I don't know. Um, hashtag ADHD mistakes. <laughs> um, so that was where I had kind of started as like, oh, okay, um, maybe we are just, this is going to be like him making the Catholic Church into what it needs to be to make up for all the damages. <laughs> no, um, in some ways, in a lot of ways, Lenny is pro-damage that the Catholic Church has done. Yes. Um, but through some, like, extremely <clears throat> rigid and rigorous notion of what God is or what he thinks God is because he actually lacks the close relationship to God that being mm-hmm. the pontiff would imply. Um, and so one thing that, like, watching the rewatching parts of the episode to re-record episode one that I had underappreciated um, last week when watching this video was to think about how Lenny's like speech opens up from this place of like pure kindness and generosity, right? Mm-hmm. We have forgotten you, right? I, I, I serve God and thus I serve you. So it's a very like crowd audience oriented as opposed to anything about Lenny himself. When one of the many things we learn about Lenny as this episode proceeds is that he is constantly 
evaluating his own relationship or lack thereof to God and belief Mm -hmm. in himself and belief in God, even at the moments when he is projecting like the utmost certitude, rectitude, and like fuck off vibes Mm -hmm. to those around him. Um, And then there's that moment at the end when Viola is like, you're not even a member of the church. Right. So it's like we get the couple of fears of Lenny. We get the fear that he is, in fact, still a child. And we learn he has parent issues at several points in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we learn that, like, the thing that he then fears in the second version of the, or the second part of the dream is saying a bunch of absurd things about Catholicism to a crowd who's adoring him. And he, like, has a miracle where he comes out onto the balcony and the, stops, the, raining. the cloud stops raining. The clouds part. The sun <laughs> comes out. The crowd is cheering. And he says all these absurd things. Then Viola's like, you're not a cardinal. You're not the pope. You're not even a part of the church anymore. What do we want to talk about Lenny as a character then, since we're kind of turning in there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we'll get into some of the funnier aspects of uh, Pope Lenny in gloss here in a little while. But maybe we kind of can identify a couple of key moments or key parts of dialogue that he gives us um, through various points in the episode. How did you feel that one of his first interactions with an actual human being and not just the uh, creatures in his dream was, like, viciously making Sister Biche cry? Um, well, I didn't love it. I mean, one, he also, like, humiliates his major domo and uh-huh. his, his butler. Domen. Do you know what domen yes. means? One right. who belongs to God. By the transitive property, he says, that means you belong to me. Yes. Um, so clearly someone who has um, a hard time with authority, um... And but like particularly vicious towards women, which yeah. is like fascinating to me because later in the episode he brings the most important woman in his life to do a lot of dirty work for him. But mm-hmm. he like outright rejects Sister Biche, who's being really affectionate and sweet and like I want to make anything you like. And then he rejects all of this delicious food she's made. The spread is nice. Like yeah. you know, one day I hope to have such a breakfast spread available to me. Maybe we just need to visit the Pope. <laughs> I'm sure Frankie would have us. Um, I mean, this is a slight tangent. Do we think that Juba is at all supposed to be commenting on, or the character of Lenny, played by Juba, is supposed to be commenting on Pope Frankie in any extent? Benedict and Francis are very, very different popes um, with vastly different um, approaches to things. Um, Pope Benedict, like, um, a lot of people, um, are not happy with the fact that he retired from being Pope. You're supposed to die. But the thing that people... Also not thrilled about the sexual assault cover-ups. Also right. not thrilled about being in the Hitler Youth or whatever the fuck he right. was in. Yes. People were not happy with how he handled all the, the scandals. Um, they were not thrilled that he was a part of the Hitler Youth. Um, they, he was very much like a scholar pope because he was also very different from JP2, who was really venerated. JP2 is my yeah. mom's favorite pope. Fun fact. I mean, JP2, like a lot of people's favorite popes, right? right? Like because, credited with right. like helping end the Cold War. And right. And um, improving the relationships yep. between Judaism and Islam Absolutely. and the Catholic, and Catholicism. Yeah. yeah. A lot of criticism from Benedict XVI, um, who was definitely someone who I would rate as being a bit more conservative, like much more conservative than Francis. Francis is um, a lot of ways like uh, incredibly liberal, not the Pope we were really prepared for. 
in the eyes of like a, a very traditional Catholic, um, he's incredibly liberal because he says that we shouldn't hate the gays. Um, but he also thinks that transitioning gender is sin. But only the transitioning gender part, which I think is it's quite a take. Bizarre, yeah. I'm um, sure there's some obscene. obscene. Right. I, I was going to say obscene. I was going to say like obscure, and then I went with obscene uh, theological f- right. justification for that. Um, no, his justification is that you shouldn't be wrecking God's plan. Yeah, makes sense if um, you believe in that nonsense. Exactly. Francis really going for, um, you know, he's not a traditionalist. He doesn't wear the ring of the fisher, um, which I think is interesting. Um, so I don't know if Lenny is necessarily commentary on Pope Francis because Pope Francis is generally really well liked. Um, I mean, even um, the evangelical conservatives like him because he took pictures with Donald Trump. <laughs> um, My God. So he, which he was not happy about. Who give him a little credence? Whatever, he should have just not done it. But. He should have just not done it, but he was, like, clearly upset yeah. about it. The, the encyclical on climate change, like, you know, yes. a highlight of papacies, I would say. Right. And then the goal to stop and end violence, he's very educated. He's someone who does pay attention to the poor um, and also keeps up with the times. He's, I think, to be credited with um, the fact that we have a papal Instagram and a papal Twitter at Pontifex. Um, yes, Pont- at Pontifex. <laughs> In Argentinian, yes, Argentinian. Yes, and he's yeah. our fir- he's our f- actual first pope from the New World. Mm-hmm. Um, in that he is Argentinian. Um, this is my um, predictor for the rest of my life. I do not think there will ever be a United Statesian pope in our time. It's a, it's a solid take, and I support it. Um, I, yep, I do not think we will ever have a, a pope that was born in the United States. <laughs> so Lenny and maybe, that light. I would give maybe, a, a maybe slight chance to Canada, but mm, I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Canada I can maybe see. Um, I don't know, like a, like a Quebecois pope? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's where the strongest Catholic population is. Yeah, that's what I said. So I did, um, while we're digressing, as is the want of the Not Quite Great Books podcast, I did recently make a visit to uh, Montreal with producer Amy and, and her partner um, to do some research for Young Pope by visiting uh, the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in Montreal, which is fucking amazing, like absolutely beautiful. Um, it's been a long time since I've been to Notre Dame in Paris. Like that was 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so like, I can't quite make the comparison, but it was, you know, I wasn't like moved by the Holy spirit, but I was moved. I was going to say, I consistently am someone who, um, really often moved by Sacre Coeur in Paris, actually. Sacre Coeur <laughs> quality church. Quality, quality church. Um, I do enjoy Notre Dame. I'm glad that we saved the rose windows. Um, fun <laughs> fact, everyone, my favorite, <laughs> The other qualifications I have in this, in, I can't in this believe podcast. We, we've waited way too long to get to this. Is that my favorite Disney movie is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Legit. But what is there not to love about a brown woman getting on a stage and yelling justice at a corrupt white man? <laughs> I'm sorry. And my parents wonder why I'm liberal. <laughs> Little do they know. <laughs> I'm actually a leftist. <laughs> um, but the thing with... Lenny, though, is that he seems um, to really um, go for the essentialist. He rejects yeah. a lot of comfort. He informs Sister Vice and Doman that all he drinks in the morning is a single cherry Coke Zero. Yep. Asserting some Americanness, Absolutely. Um, certainly. And also the denial. The denial and the, like, 
sacralization of the profane, right? Like, can one, you know, there's not necessarily more, like, profane beverages than a Cherry Coke Zero. I would argue it's Diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, actually, yeah, I mean, of course. There's not many more. There are some. Um, but, like, it's, that's a, like, quintessential them doing the Americanness of the Pope yes. and them doing the, like, for Lenny, right? That is the essential thing of his character, so much so that the suggestion that just a regular Diet Coke uh, is domain suggests would be a heresy. And the line that he gives there uh, is that it's death to settle for things in life. Yes. Right? Like, deigning to drink a regular old Diet Coke when Cherry Coke Zero exists is, like, death and, like, a heresy. Yes. So, um, and the, like, mix of high-low brow is, I think, characteristic of Pope Lenny as well. Mm-hmm. Um but there's like the kind of containing structure for him seems to be the formality seems to be the like the rights as he puts it right r-i-t-e-s which as you point out is like so essential to the catholic church as a whole but so core to lenny's being so much so that part of the way he makes sister bj cry in that scene um which is like the first scene um of spoken words right other than his Mm -hmm. fake speech in his dream so like in reality the first words are about Cherry Coke Zero and being mean to Sister Biche, um, that he goes into this whole spiel about how friendly relationships are dangerous because there's a lack of clarity, Mm -hmm. um, because they always end poorly, as he says, as opposed to formal relationships, which are as clear as spring water, right, which give rise to rights, which give rise to earth order. So there's something about, like, the container of formal relationships that, for him, is, like, presumably part of the appeal of the Catholic Church with its rigid hierarchies, with its rituals, with its customs, um, and all of that, as opposed to, like the seeming chaos of his early life that we just get like hints and glimpses of um, with regards to uh, being dropped off at some orphanage uh, by his parents. Yes. Um, Eagerly awaiting knowledge about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. So Regan, if we can get into maybe some other aspects of Lenny that are revealed in this first episode, does he like jokes? (laughs) Um, Yes. And no, maybe (laughs) I'm not sure. Um, so some okay. So some thoughts that to preface this to get into my thoughts is that I'm see, or to get into how I think he thinks of jo- jokes is that some major themes I'm seeing are the truth, secrets as a sin, the morality of truth, um, deception for the sake of the good of others, uh, disruption and power. And so he's someone who says that jokes don't mean every anything, and then proceeds to say I'm joking throughout the episode. So we can either take that as him saying. When I'm joking, when I follow up with I'm joking, it means that I've lied to you, right? Like, he, he has, um, at the end of the episode with Father Tommaso, yeah. he goes off on this rant about how he doesn't believe in God, and he's actually an <laughs> atheist, and, like, this is all a sham. And then he follows up with I'm joking. So, has he is he lying or telling the truth? Or, like, should we not take this seriously? Because he's claiming he's joking. Is it just a safety net for him? Yeah. As opposed to when he, like, pranks Voyello. Um, right. He's like, all right, Voyello, I'll handle, you know, this and that. You handle the importance of the finances, the diplomacy, right, the theology. Um, and Voyello is like, this sounds like an excellent division of labor, uh, your eminence. And then he says he's just joking. So there it's like an actual mechanism mm-hmm. to, like, to play or toy with one of his uh, fellow uh, important Catholics. And then at the end with Don Tommaso, it is the... 
a layer of self-protection. So it's right. like he kind of decides in what ways the jokes mean something and don't mean something. And like, right. as long as he, maybe it's, maybe it is as long as he is able to be in charge of the seriousness of the jokes or whether they reveal anything, <laughs> right? Cause another point he says, jokes don't tell us anything or they don't reveal right. anything to us. Right. Um, Maybe in general that's true, but he gets a special exception as, like, mm. God's number two. And part of me also is wondering if maybe this is him um, playing with the American identity. Like, mm, I think mm-hmm. also when we talk about the American perception, at least of people in Europe, they tend to perceive Americans as people who are either complete goofballs, yep. like total dopes, com- like straight up maybe even a dumbass. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm pretty smart for Americans. But, um, We're doing okay by American standards, I think, you and I. We do have five degrees between the two of us. Um, seven if we count our high school diplomas. <laughs> if we really need to assert, I think, assert ourselves. I think I got an en route uh, master's during the PhD, so let's just call it eight between us. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. All right. There we go. Um, but like either that or like deadly serious and yeah. quite dangerous because they're Absolutely. so serious about mm-hmm. um, about things. So part of me wonders if that by him being deadly serious and then saying claiming he's joking is him going like you don't know what you're getting into. So we have the joking aspect, and you know we brought up this scene at the end with Don Tommaso. So. I, f- I like your idea about him kind of playing with the assumptions that they have about him as an American pope, mm-hmm. because I think it happens not only in this joking sense, but also that because there's this belief that like, A, he doesn't know anything about the, about the Vatican, right? That he's perception that he's going to be Vallejo's puppet and like right. this beautiful and hilarious scene between the four cardinals outside in the gardens, oh my God. which I know is one of your favorite scenes in this episode. Um, but he's also like, doing some master manipulator stuff too, which he has proven himself even in this first episode, extremely capable of against the assumptions that Voyello is making against the assumptions that these Cardinals are making, but also like in a different way against the assumptions that Don Tommaso is making. Right. And he like, you know, gets Don Tommaso on his side in part over just like being interested in profaning or being interested in him. um, But also in like dangling the promise of becoming a Cardinal himself to tell Pope Lenny all of the sins that are confessed to Don Tommaso is the person who takes the confession of the cardinals and other folks in the Vatican. Yes. Um, but then again, it also like just reinforces to me that he views secrets as power. And he mm-hmm. wants everyone's secret so he can manipulate them. Yes. <clears throat> um, obviously. And then he also is like keeping up this deception for the good of controlling things. He wants to know the truth and all of the truth, even the ugly parts, in order to maintain his position. And part of me wonders if that's also because he's the young pope, um, too, because he doesn't have the same sort of career that some of these cardinals have had. <laughs> no. Can we call being a priest a career? I guess. You do, get <laughs> you do go to school for it. Yeah. You live in a place like that's tied to your employment. Yes. So. All right. So there's... The tell me everyone sins part. And I don't know. One of the things that I am thinking about more throughout our conversation is the way that so much of what Lenny is trying to do or the way that he's projecting himself to others across all of these parts of his personality we've discussed and identified is a projection or presentation of 
certainty and like coherence when in fact he's incredibly kind of fucked up about his relationship to God and the Catholic church. Like, do you think Len, do you Regan based on this first episode think that if we grant the Catholic church, all of its nonsense that Lenny is up to the task of being Pope. Mm. And then secondly, do you think that Lenny believes that Lenny is up to Poping? Well, okay. So I think about this also as like he is one of the kind of things in the episode that Voyello talks a lot about is this pressure to give his first papal homily. Yeah. And he's struggling with this idea of finishing of like a sentence involving the phrase God's infinite silence. Um, interjected a lot with the changing of the radio frequency mm-hmm. and how and how that he as Pope does not seem to be tuning in to God effectively, <laughs> which is what I'm wondering if the radio is a continuing symbol, this relationship with God that Lenny may or may not have. Um, so, and he also asks, like, he's asking God in the beginning, like, why are you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. As he literally sits miming Jesus on a crucifix with his hands outstretched, which is not the normal way one would pray. No, definitely not. But he will do it over and over again. And not only does he, is there the visual comparison, but he then verbally compares himself to yes. Jesus. He's like, Jesus asked this as, you know, he was about to die. And I ask this now as I am about to live. Yes. No, so he very clearly is asserting, like, some arrogance, but he's also giving us, like, imposter syndrome type arrogance. So I don't know if he's up to poping, because he really seems to be struggling. He could use a writing tutor and writing... <laughs> I'm sending Lenny to our mutual favorite tutor employed at SUNY Plattsburgh, oh, initials AS. Who's um, Easter, who was raised Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> she would just like do a number on Pope Lenny. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that um, he uh, maybe isn't up to the Poping, but he's very good at navigating the politics of the of the papacy. Um, for example, when he puts Lenny in, or not, when Lenny puts Voyello in his place about the cup of coffee. Over and over again, he puts yes. Voyello in his place. Yes, clearly putting him in his place. So maybe that's his one strength, is that he's willing to play the game and the politics and manipulate enough to fake it, but um, not entirely convinced if he's up to poping. We'll no. See. I mean, and he's, and he's not himself. Right, obviously. And so, like, there's, I think, the one crucial scene that you point out, which is the him on his knees, hands raised to God as he's praying, trying to think about uh, language that he's going to use in his homily. Then there's also that scene at the end where at first he kind of dazzles Tommaso. He's like, where is the house of God? See, it's just up there next to the Big Dipper or whatever it is. He says something to that effect. And then talks about, um, you know, before God's the house, house is God. a duplex. Yeah. <laughs> half, he's got half of a duplex. And then he, like, does his confession, because he refuses to confess in the confessional booth with right. Tommaso, presumably is in part a power move and in part a, like, godly imposter syndrome, yes. uh, to, use, to use your, I think, apt term uh, for, for Lenny there. And he talks about, like, my only confession is that uh, you do not believe I am capable of repenting, so I do not believe in you. I don't believe you are capable of saving me from myself. Earlier, he confessed that the only thing that he had to confess was that his conscience does not accuse him of anything. Right. right? So there's that kind of certitude <laughs> in the initial one earlier in the episode, and then there's the, like, quite profound but also self-centered expression of disbelief to Tommaso, which as we identified earlier, he then immediately takes back. Right. 
Last thing maybe to talk about Lenny here in the main discussion before we get into the segments is his relationship so far to Sister Mary uh, in this first episode. So he brings Mary, who was the uh, nun or sister... She's a sister. Okay. Okay. Well, let's is, save it for the segments. Yes. But okay. So this so, is sis, Sister right. Mary, actually a sister, uh, who runs or is a prominent figure at the orphanage that he gets dropped off when he's a young boy, brings her, played by Diane Keaton, incredible Diane Keaton yes. performance, um, here to the Vatican to be his senior his, advisor. Yes, his personal assistant. Yeah. Um, so... I think, I don't know, it's very interesting. So one point that I um, find very frustrating about Jude Law's performance is that I find his American accent incredibly disconcerting. I love it so much. It makes me, like, smile every time. I find it very odd. And and it's the only time when, as you've pointed out before, um, that we hear his, because he's originally the Archbishop of New York. Yeah. And it's the only time he lets out a sort of New Yorkism um, with Sister Mary and not Sister Mary. Um, I think that I'm very curious to learn more about this because the first, and I wonder if it connects to how he relates to Sister Biche, because the first thing we hear out of Sister Mary's mouth is... In a flashback. In a flashback. In a, like, extremely overexposed lighting situation flashback. Yes. Is, um, you must never call me Ma, call me, but you may call me Sister Mary. And, um, I would, uh, and because it's just interesting to me because he's clearly been rejected by his own, like, bio mother, a mother figure, and so now he's just rejecting Sister Biche, doing a really grandmotherly, motherly thing. Um, and he starts his, like, tearing down of Sister Biche by, with mother. Yes. Right? Like, that's the opening word that yes. he speaks to her. Yeah. So clearly this is a man who has a lot of issues with motherhood. <laughs> um interesting to me as someone who um, grew up around a lot of women very devoted to the Virgin Mary, uh, Mother of God, um, say pray for us sinners now, the hour of our death. <laughs> um, so um, really interesting to me that he disdains this so much um, that he makes women cry over it. Um, so those were some thoughts that I have, I guess. Yes. And there's the glorification of Sister Mary, like, mm-hmm. as the kind of pure advice. So there's, like, a little, like, Madonna horror complex. Right. Like, well, and he also chooses to house her in a... Kick-ass papal apartment. Right, but that's <laughs> built to replicate Lourdes, yeah. which is also dedicated to Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or famous saints, like Bernadette of Lourdes, or, like, getting Lourdes water is a big deal. The Catholica knowledge, like, just keeps coming on. I appreciate it a lot. It's a special interest. <laughs> Knowledge about Catholicism in general or, like, Mary Lord's knowledge in specifically? Oh, I love knowing, like, saint trivia. Oh, okay, good. This is going to come in handy over this journey together. Yeah, so there's the, like, centering Sister Mary in a position of power at the same time that he has all of these mommy issues, issues with women, generally speaking. Um, And, you know, I know at this point we we have watched the second episode because we thought we were going to do that until I went to go attempt to edit the first take of the first episode. So there's other, like, interesting women that actually do come into the show um, who are characters in their own right. These multiple dynamics are on with Sister Mary. And, like, Sister Mary has an ability that Lenny 
mostly accepts, but is a little bit bristling at to speak very directly and confrontationally to him in a way he hasn't put up with from anybody else so far in the show. Mm-hmm. Right. So we get, you know, him talking, show her talking directly to him about like, you can't focus so much on your enormous, enormous sufferings. Um, you've lived with and obsessed about all of your sorrows before, except now you can't think about like your own father and mother issues because you have to be the father and mother of the entire church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like the depth of Lenny's baggage and lack of having processed any of that um, challenge or difficulty, but also Mary kind of like provoking or like pushing him on it um, to like get over your shit. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we head to the segments? I guess so. It's so. time. All right. So we've got, um, obviously there's no Danielle or no Americans for the Daniel dossier, but um, in honor of the Daniel dossier, we have a segment whose name Regan didn't know until I revealed it in the first take of this attempted recording. So Regan, how do we feel about the name Regan's rectory? <laughs> Very much in favor. For the prediction segment. <laughs> Completely fine. All right. What wild predictions, theorizing, um, um, casting do you want to do? I feel like we're going to find out and eventually that Lenny is queer of some kind in the future um, and that he, that is going to be um, a, a point of um, maybe trying to oust him from his position um, I also feel like Lenny is going to punch Boyello at some point <laughs> because it is clear that he absolutely fucking hates that man spices Boyello um, so much so I think that would be interesting. I'm also kind of wondering if Sister Mary is going to punch Royal. So <laughs> maybe kick him in the shin with the... So All right. uh, that would be my predictions. I support these predictions. As always, I have no comment, and that continues over, carries over to young Popeness. Let us turn to Gloss. And you mentioned him, Regan, in your, in your predictions. But what was your response to the one and only Cardinal Royello? Played by played beautifully by Silvio Orlando. Um, I think it's very interesting that they give him a mole yes. because Silvio Orlando does not have a mole in real life. So I thought, um, what kind of symbol would that be? I'm not sure. Do you have any ideas? Um, I mean, my thought would be like the mole of um, <laughs> like a spy mole. Um, like he's you know there to do some undermining. Um, I also think it's really interesting that he's always talking about the Holy Trinity of Naples with the <laughs> soccer players. Um, like, that's the real heresy. Other, you know, <laughs> Drinking Diet Coke is fine, especially if it's a McDonald's Diet Coke, which I will fight for at any given time. I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, I recognize as someone who has been around Catholicism a lot and knows a lot of Catholic people, um, especially priests and sisters and so on. Like, they do have hobbies, but, like... They, I've never heard of someone saying, yeah, the Holy Trinity of Naples being three soccer players. <laughs> His adoration and like total love for Napoli is the football team that he uh, supports and is connected to in some way is like hilarious and endearing to me. There's actually a lot of endearing things about Loyello as, I mean, this is also me like looking forward, of course, and having seen more of it. But I think even in this episode, the like, yes, he's a like pure operator (laughs) mode politician, pure manipulator or attempted Mm -hmm. to like working behind the scenes, going behind people's back. But there's also like this, you know, whether it's the like sheer happiness and joy about uh, Napoli soccer that he brings that like, I think do you find him endearing in any capacity thus far? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
We'll see. He tries to like do the runaround on uh, Pope Lenny in their first meeting together, right? Which and we learn from this conversation that the cardinals have in the garden um, that like Royello masterminded the election of Lenny um, to to be elected as Pope. Um, you know, there's this joke about like. The Holy Spirit who illumines the Cardinals is actually mm-hmm. Boyello, who's in fact the devil incarnate, right. um, as one of them uh, says. So he thinks he's done it because he can manipulate this Pope and be able to be the real person in power. And then there are the several moments there's the like, go get me a cup of American coffee and like all the ways in which uh, Pope Pius wrongfoots Voyello. Do you have a favorite moment of the Voyello um, Pope Lenny confrontation? Oh, well, I'm obsessed with his obsession also with um, Venus of the Venus of Villendorf. Yeah. Um, the first episode we recorded, I wore my Venus of Villendorf earrings <laughs> uh, to thought about wearing them again, but maybe that was what jinxed us. <laughs> um, no, it was my incompetence. There was no jinx necessary. How do we have eight degrees between us then, John? <laughs> you can't even record a podcast. <laughs> Which I've literally been doing for a really, really, really long time in my life. Oh, man. In various um, capacities. It's okay. Bless. I still adore you. Thank You're you. still a good person. Thank you. Um, I, Which I think is really interesting that he, who is, he's, I mean, he's old, um, and yeah. he's like, really obsessed with the Venus of Willendorf, um, which the papacy somehow owns. I don't think they actually own her. <laughs> um, as compared to, we do know that um, the papal tiara is owned by a museum in Washington, D.C. But Lenny's like, we must get it back. One right. of his main agenda yes. items. Um, so he, it's just interesting to me that he is like, just kind of like staring at this. What is, we know like a pagan figure. It predate the Venus. She predates Christ. Um, and in like a really gross way, because that again is also this, we'll talk about it. I think later, um, in glass two with Gutierrez is that like the Venus of Willendorf is often like, I've seen as like a fertility goddess yeah. or a protector of women. Um, but he's staring at her in a really sexualized way. And confesses um, only confession to Tommaso is impure right. thoughts. Impure thoughts. As he, like, texts on his phone. <laughs> um, what a vibe. What a vibe. Um, so, yeah, I think... Well, I also think it's interesting that the show chooses to play up um, the Venus of Vildorf's vulva, which is yep. not really that prominent of a feature on the Venus anymore. Um, it's worn away over time, uh, which I think is also points to, like really sick obsession with women mm-hmm. um, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yep. So we'll see how I feel Catholic Church it. making one feel deeply uncomfortable is extremely on brand for Catholicism. This is true. This is true. Um, so I think Voyolo, yeah, he has his quirks, as does Lenny. Um, <laughs> and how those quirks interact, like, I, I think specifically about, this is connected to the Venus of Willendorf, certainly, where uh, Lenny, like, closes his eyes and sinks back into his chair. <laughs> and in both, I think, a genuine way and in also a, like, what the fuck are you doing way, Voyolo asks him, are you sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might be maybe my one endearing moment of him, of him kind of having some genuine concern. And then Pope Lenny replies, no, I'm praying in silence for you. <laughs> and then he says, stop looking at the Venus of Willendorf in that way. Right. And of course. With his eyes closed. Yes. 
<laughs> and of course, my hello, not, you know, being privy to the fact we think that uh, Pope Lenny has Tommaso on his side is like, how the fuck does this guy know that already? Right. Or know that at all, maybe. Right. I did love that moment. And the, the coffee moment. There are so many moments of that conversation. Yeah. Lenny, full of quirks. Do you have a, you know, we've got the smoking, we've got the cherry right. Coke zero, we have the accent, we have the relationship with Sister Mary, you know, I think... You know, I do think it's interesting that he chooses. So the next most liberal pope, as we discussed earlier, was JP two, and he decides to steamroll around JP two's <laughs> rule of not spoking in the papal offices, yeah. and he goes for it. But there's so much about Lenny that is like interesting to me that I think he the smoking con- he smokes a lot. Mm-hmm. He also is constantly imbibing caffeine. Yeah, like he is like a working class. Villain, maybe not really a hero, <laughs> but like he really is quite dependent on some vices, mm-hmm. um, being you know stimulants, which I think is kind of interesting for someone who is played by Jude Law and looks so young and fit and healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, loves cigarettes. Has Sister Mary like bring in his beautiful case? Um, presumably, I, I think we're meant to interpret part of his smoking habit is tied to, right? So he shows up at the orphanage, right. like with the, with what we are meant to believe is his father's pipe. Yes. Um, and he still has just the bowl, right? Right. Um, he does not have the pipe stem anymore. Yeah. So maybe there's some of the smoking thing that's tied up in that. Um, and, but also like a very glamorous smoker right. is... Pope Lenny dressed in his full regalia. Right. Um, well, and I think also there's like, this is a show that I think glamorizes smoking in a weird way. Um, for example, my current favorite character is the Cardinal who alternates between his inhaler and smoking. But a true, true icon. Really an icon. I want to be him. Except <laughs> I don't smoke anymore. Um, but like, what an icon. Like that dedicated to his and. His Italian habits of, of, of ritual smoking throughout the day. I mean, just even thinking back to the point you made earlier about Lenny being such an American pope, that there's obviously, like, one of the associations Americans have about Europe is that they fucking love cigarettes. Right. Um, and here, yes, uh, you know, we have our iconic priest uh, blasting cigs and in his inhaler in alternating fashion. But, like, Lenny's a little bit reversing that by being mm-hmm. the American who is, like, the one who smokes in a glamorous manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, because th- he's definitely not doing the Marlboro Man. Right? <laughs> no, no. Yep. And I mean, there's a, there's also like a gender performativity of like popes in general, but that like mm-hmm. part of this is just Jude Law's like pure beauty. Um, that it's a very like particularly like, it's like a soft masculinity. Um, yeah. But like nonetheless, a very. Um, like intense, like sexy masculinity that he projects in general as Juban and in this right. and many of his roles, but also like the particular character of Pope Lenny, who like you know this gets remarked upon more as we continue. Like it's just a beautiful human being, right? Um, do we want to talk about moms more? <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Boyle's obsession with this figure of motherhood, um, Sister Mary, who, um, you know, has chosen her, um, religious name to be Mary. Presumably she was not born Mary. Um, we know from Sister Act 1 and 2 that many, <laughs> many sisters are Mary so-ons, um, but it's a name frequently um, uh, chosen um, by sisters to denote their d- dedication to God. Um, and we have, you know, so we have um, 
Boyello, who seems to sexualize mothers, Lenny, who hates mothers, and then Gutierrez, who I really want to know more about because his mother is a woman who does not uh, scorn. scorn wickedness. Yep. There we go. As in the context of him and Lenny looking at the Pieta, right? That's what they're yes. viewing. Um, and identifying the way that it all it all comes back to the mother. Yes, it all comes back to the mother is, all, is what Lenny says. And then we learn again about Gutierrez's mysterious mother, who I, again, and it's interesting because Gutierrez is also, he notes that he, Gutierrez is known to be a singularly good man. Um, Lenny can't find any dirt on him, per <laughs> se. Um, so I really want to know more about Mrs. Gutierrez because, um, or maybe she's Ms. I don't know. Um, like, is she someone that was, um, you know, doing the, um, amazing gentle parenting and getting Gutierrez to be so good because she's not punishing him or is she just doing all the bad things person who hates everybody um and therefore doesn't care yeah so kind of an interesting dynamic there is like a certain softness of personality that appeals mm. to Lenny about Gutierrez like yeah. there's like the, the way that Gutierrez speaks that's Javier Camara who's the actor um like of particular like quietude and mm-hmm. um like solace that he projects in the way that he speaks um and in like the slow way that he talks but mm-hmm. also like you know there's a the comfortness that or the comfortability that Gutierrez projects towards Lenny or that Lenny picks up on is what Gutierrez himself finds in the Vatican right he talks about like oh he's a and he's averse to tourists because they're just passing through maybe it's him agreeing with Lenny and Lenny says that um but that it, he loves the Vatican and is like basically never left because there it is if time were dead yes right so that standstill for Gutierrez of yes. the Vatican is really really significant for him mm-hmm. all right we have some Proust shout-outs on yes. the show. <laughs> um, I had noted that Voyello at one point says, well, everybody everybody quotes Proust, but no one reads it. <laughs> and I think, and he's, uh, and it's interesting to me because that says to me about, like, like in John and I's world, everyone quotes Foucault, but no one reads it. <laughs> except for John. <laughs> Not in grad center political theory. Like, you fucking read your Foucault. Um, I read part bits and pieces of Foucault as they seem necessary to me to get through a critical theory class from hell. <laughs> um, which was a top. Um, I have never read Proust. I like actually. I inherited when uh, my grandfather on my dad's <laughs> side when he passed away. Um, he had a huge library in their in their house, and I inherited like a set. Like it's three books of In Search of Lost Time. Um, it just sit on my bookshelf at home, but I've never actually read it. Read them. Interesting. I've done the the Proust interview before, which I think is full of really interesting questions. Okay. Um, but anyway, so he. I think this is really interesting because. Voyello, I think, speaks of, like, he just seems to be, like, a false person. Like, to me, it's like, well, we're just miming um, much the way that I approach Catholicism. It's that I fake it till I make it and kind of just go through the motions, right? The Holy Trinity of Napoli. Um, so he has at least a trinity in his life. Is it <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? No, it's not. <laughs> it's these three soccer players. Um Versus Lenny, who I think is very dedicated to ritual and tradition and and finding meaning in it, um, or at least whatever sense of meaning Lenny is capable of. I don't know. I thought it as a bucking of like, well, we just do it because we do this. Yeah. 
All right. So maybe the last point in gloss for us to discuss, Regan, is the visual and oral style of the show. Mm-hmm. I absolutely adore the flourishes is perhaps like too um like happenstance of a word to use but the way that the show is playing with the reality of how things look and how things sound is to me like one of its most um enlivening aspects but like how would you describe the style of the show the way that it's shot the way that it looks the way that it sounds um okay so, again, I as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I thought at first that this was just the style they went for yeah. with the dream sequences, which is very vivid, um, almost painting-esque. Mm-hmm. Like, we get, like, some some intense sort of, um, you know, kind of those Spanish Impressionist style painters yeah, sure. at the beginning, and then it gets to just be very vivid and um, hyper-realistic in some ways. Um, the shot of all the silent cardinals in the kind of that ballroom area. I that's one of like the most beautiful shots ever in TV. Is right. just the way the way they're arrayed against one another, the painterly style of it. Yeah. Um, the way that it's lit, the colors, right? Because the red of Catholicism is just a gorgeous color. Mm-hmm. Um, that the show works with very very intensively. So yeah, I absolutely love that particular scene, that particular shot. But then like I mean the whole visualness of the of the show um and then i just think it's interesting um that we then get sort of like a it's a little washed out in the rest of the episode like we're clearly framing how not wrinkly dude law is compared to how wrinkly like (laughs) inhaler cardinal and voyello are um and highlighting people's strengths and flaws um like definitely an interesting use of color um comparing kind of the papal whites um compared to the cardinals traditionally wearing black with the red piping um so i think also just very interestingly stylized i think the lighting is that it also looks yeah i kind of think the washed outness also gets gives it a sense that like maybe this way of worshiping is running out of time (laughs) and um, we need to enliven it again. Yeah. Um, So I think that's kind of interesting. In addition to the sound design design choices, um, which I think is our last thing with the static being noted, especially. Yeah. I mean the static with like occasional layers of like churchly vocals um, layered in and the occasional like, (laughs) light electronica beats um, are occasionally in that static. I mean, I paid attention to it, uh, like the whatever time around that it's like seven and a half, eight minutes before we get a, any spoken words in Mm -hmm. this show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's only the dream sequence and then Lenny getting ready for uh, his dream homily. Um, And it's just, it's, it's an eerie sort of static, of course. So we have the whole, like, is that a way in which God's presence is there? But as you pointed out earlier, actually not coming through clearly to Lenny. Um, And just as in a pure kind of aesthetic level, it's a wonderful way to amplify the mystery or the eeriness or the strangeness of the realm of Catholicism and the realm of the Vatican. Um, even as the viewer encounters it, like there's something that's both, I think alienating, but also thought provoking about the static and the way that it shines through. And like, it then becomes part of the reality of the show, even as it exists in the dream, right? Because even in his waking life, like, Money's radio doesn't work, right? He's still right. not getting the transmission from God or from the Vatican radio so much right. so that, like, he semi-jokingly, but maybe also really, like, lists 
to Voyello that one of his agenda items is to make the signal of the Vatican radios stronger. Yes, yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting because it's, I don't know, my theory is that it's not working because he's not getting contact from God. I think, I think that's an excellent theory. I'm fine to run with that one. Okay. All right. Should we head to the next segment? Let's go. We've got um, a segment that's going to focus on like various Catholic specific things. Regan already like showing off her Catholic knowledge. And so we're going to dedicate a whole <laughs> segment to this that I'm assuming is going to be more Regan led than I led than led by <laughs> right. me over um, our course. Yes. Um, and that is the segment that we're calling Popery. Yes. Pope Puri. Pope Excuse me. Um, where where would you want to start with this? Um, I really was enjoying a lot about the costuming, so I think we'll start there. Um, I love that they get the pontifical shoes right, which is great. Um, that they note that the tur- the Pope typically always wears red shoes, um, and this is something that only became knowledge to the public when Benedict. Uh, the 16th was around um, just because I think sometimes JP two was like, nah. Um, (laughs) So, but I do find it weird that sister Mary does not wear the correct nun shoes. Um, or rather the shoes that sisters typically wear because they wear a very specific kind of sandal that every sister in the world wears. Um, if they are not, if they're wearing their habits, um, I do think the show mixes up sisters and nuns in a way that I find rude. Um, I, <laughs> rude to? Rude to sisters okay. and, and to nuns. Okay. So, do you want to school us? Sure. So um, one thing that I think um, we do, because we use the word sister and brother to mean lots of different things in English, I think we will just accept that mistakes happen. But I do think it's important that the general public know um, that sisters are, are any religious woman with a religious garb on that you see in public is a sister and not a nun. Sisters do works with the public and education. Nuns are cloistered and live contemplative lives. The same goes for brothers and monks. Um, brothers are the ones doing the work out in the world. Monks are cloistered, meaning they do not leave their convents or their monasteries. And they do not interact with public, um, which I think is important to note. Um, I also think it's interesting that Sister Mary essentially sounds like she's taking over the role of the Camerlengo. Can you explain um, the Camerlengo to the laity among us? Yes. So the Camerlengo, um, we hear the other title of the Camerlengo frequently, um, which is the Secretary of the Papal State, which is Voyello's position. He's supposed to be the Camerlengo. Um, and the Camerlengo is considered the Pope's like closest confidant, advisor, um, and sometimes even personal assistant, um, maybe even comparable to like the presidential body man Sometimes, um, so by putting Sister Mary into this Camerlingo position and divvying up the duties, I think that's really interesting because traditionally that is a role occupied always by a man and not by a woman um, who would have who would be a sister, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, to note um, that she's doing like something that's of high status in the church. Um, yeah, and as Voyola points out, not only is not supposed to be a woman, but it's supposed to be a cardinal, i.e., like definitionally yes. not a woman. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that you noted was yes. the confessional boots about some popery Catholic shit. Yeah, I mean, just that like it's been a very long time since I have been in a confessional booth and given <laughs> confession, um, like an extremely long time. It's not that you've been given it; you give your confessions. You've confessed. I I feel like I'm close enough to friends that can, that like, I'm essentially the confessor of, of many of my friends. Fair. Fair? Okay. All right. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to lean into that, I think. Um, summer of, uh, the 
confessor of Plattsburgh 2023, <laughs> um, hot confessor summer. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, wow. Okay. Um, hot confessor summer. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to remember that when we uh, are tweeting publicity about this episode. Um, that that's a topic of, of the thing. But just you know, like the confessional booth, and like I said, I was in the Basilica in Montreal with producer Amy and Scott um, recently, and like the way it's arrayed is that they have um, put on display a lot of the confessional booths mm-hmm. with ties to like the history of Catholicism in Quebec right. or in Canada <clears throat> um, around as many you know, cathedrals are wont to do. Um, and just, I don't know, like strong vibes of the confessional, um, in this show. And like, then obviously as we've discussed at various points, it plays a plot role, but also a questioning of Lenny's certitude role. Right. Well, I think the interesting thing about confessional booths is you're not supposed to know the screens are in place. So you can't see your confessor and the confessor can't see you and judge you. Um, confession, I think, is taken really seriously by the Catholic Church. Yeah. Like There are specific rules as to when priests can and cannot disclose what's in confessional. Like, if uh, people are coming in and admitting to criminal acts, like, what are you supposed to do? Um, you know, if someone says, Dear Father, um, forgive me for I have sinned. Like... I murdered someone today, um, which I'm sure has happened. In fact, I'm pretty sure it has happened. Um, I don't know. It just brought, that brings me back to my first confession. (laughs) There was no booth used in my church. So we went in lines and we had to whisper in our priest's ear at the the church. I don't know. I grew up luckily with like a lovely priest who I like very much. My parents frequently invited him to dinners and barbecues. Shout out Father Denny Stilwell, (laughs) um, who loves to wear Hawaiian shirts and drink Corona. I guess I support that. I mean, so, so I don't know. I, I was raised like mostly a, Christmas and Easter Catholic with like a couple of years of going more intensively that like coincided with uh, First Communion, which I did late and uh, Confirmation, the name I've blacked out apparently. <laughs> um, and I'm not the only one, uh, it appears. But uh, yeah, it was Father Ken. Mm, Father okay. Ken. So, but it's been, I don't know, I haven't imbibed the body and blood in, I don't know. 15 years? Oh, I probably just longer. a snack. <laughs> and I go home. <laughs> Gotta get through. Like, it's okay. It's been 50 minutes. Like, time for my little, like, my disgusting little Christ, My little Christ checks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they make gluten-free Christ checks. <laughs> <laughs> we think we can find out. Um, fun fact, but let's everyone. let that be one of the mysteries. Yes, the, the mystery of, of the gluten-free host. <laughs> um, but I remember I the... It was called the I love it. Yeah, so I remember whispering to Father Jenny, my first confession, he was like, what have you done? (laughs) Not like that. That's not how he approached it. And the only thing I could think of, and I really didn't feel like confessing, is that I had had kicked my classmate in the pants. And that was how I framed it. Did he deserve it? I'm I'm assuming it's a Kai Lewis did not deserve it, especially with how hard I kicked him and how close my toe came to his butthole. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so um let that be a lesson of things maybe don't confess about maybe think about it harder <laughs> Whew, all right um it's hard to recover from that but um in hot confessor summer but uh 
I guess so. Uh, Pope Lenny has chosen Pius the Thirteenth, yes, as his uh, moniker. And you have some wonderful, useful trivia for us about this. Uh, yes. Um, okay. So I think it's really interesting that he chooses Pius because Pius is tradition is Latin for Pius, meaning yeah. someone who is a, dev- a devotee of religion. Pious pre, or popes that choose the name Pius tend to be the most conservative, most traditional, most rigid, and do the worst shit. He also cho- chooses Pius the Thirteenth, which is a thirteen is a number associated with Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. So he chooses that. When we think of other like fake popes. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think of like the movie Angels and Demons where like the Pope they choose is, <laughs> decides to go with Luke, who is a fisher because he almost died in a water related murder attempt. <laughs> Very symbolic. What a great job. Highly, highly go for it. Have we had any Pope Lukes? Uh, I do not think so. All right. Pius is very popular. Benedict, as we know. Uh, John, we've had a Paul. So John, there have, uh, John, JP1 chose John and Paul as JP1 for in honor of two predecessors, and then JP2 came along after him. All right. A quick uh, look on the Wikipedia would suggest there are zero Pope Lukes in our history. Nope. Blada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you are correct. We got John, Gregory, and Benedict as the most common ones. Yep. Followed by Clement. Oh, that's a good one. Leo. Then we got Pius at yes. 12 in real life, but yes. Lenny. 13 is Lenny. Brilliant. The Judas vote. <clears throat> yes. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting also in that this relates to your, some thoughts on the color red, which is another thing that, um, features prominently in this episode in that Judas, the reason why redheads are technically a bit stigmatized in life, um, Judas, um, the betrayer is often portrayed as a redhead. All right. I feel like there are some redheads in among our friends that, you know, might like to know this. Do they know this? I don't know. Uh, I would believe that Leah Sweeney does. <laughs> um, I support that. All right. And then we've also, I think our last in Pope Puri is uh, Lenny Headwear Check. Yes. Because I, I absolutely adore It's one of like the most beautiful costume objects that I've ever seen. The hat that he wears yes. when he's outside. And like, I love the shot of him as Sister Mary's helicopter, like depends, scattering the children right. on roller skates or whatever. A weird scene. <laughs> a I was very, very confused. Very weird. Especially because, like, where are the children in this episode? They're Lenny crawling through them in the opening shot, and they're being scattered as the helicopter is about to land yes. um, out there. But anyway, like, the way he holds his hat and, like, looks up at the sky or, like, looks up towards God, but it's Sister Mary on right. the helicopter descending. The helicopter. Um, but, like, the hat and the way he holds it was one of the promotional images of the show, mm-hmm. and I think with good reason. And then, as you uh, alluded to earlier, he is interested in. In, uh, and insisting that the papal tiara, which apparently is on loan to the Smithsonian, you said? I think it is. Um, be brought back to yes. the Vatican itself. Yep. Yep. So the papal tiara, tiara for many years has not been with the Pope, um, which I think is an interesting choice that he decides. He wants to reclaim um, some objects, um, but he disdains the love of the Venus of Villendorf object. <laughs> Yes. And and Voyello objectifying the Venus. But. Yes. And, and tells Voyello that he is too tied to the past in his attempt to yes. be like, now I'm the Pope, so I get to smoke. But no one else gets to smoke, just him. Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's go to, I think, the world's, um, the universe's new favorite podcast segment. <laughs> 
Um, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna give the audience the name, and then I I give you the floor, Regan, to okay. explain the premise, the origin, the genesis, if you will, um, and of this segment and how it proceeds. And this segment is called Hot Priest Rating. So, in honor of very beautiful man uh, Jude Law, we have the Hot Priest Hot Priest Rating Scale. The there's the Jude Law scale with the hopes that Jude Law eventually reads reaches the hotness level of hot priest in Fleabag. Right. Um, but we'll see. So the scale of seminal, um, famous, and favored um, players, uh, characters played by Jude Law. Um, so the lowest of the scale, which is not attractive, is Jigolo Joe from AI. Okay. So Checks out. Um, this is like him being disconcerting, not quite human. That character is a robot. Um so very uncomfortable to Graham, which I feel is Jude Law's hottest role um, as the older brother of Iris in The Holiday, which is the most female gazy mm, okay. level of hotness, right. in my opinion, okay. which is that he's approachable. He wears good sweaters. He has nice hands. He has nice soft hair. Um, the middle of the scale is maybe Alfie from Alfie or um, Dan from Closer. Closer, well, like one of my favorite Jude Law performances, I think. Um, like a movie I watched in like my first year in college and really stuck with me for reasons that I don't particularly care to excavate. Fair enough. I need to. Re- <laughs> I should rewatch it eventually. Um, so bonus um, content for the Patreon that doesn't exist. Right. Um, so my rating um, today is that we I give this episode the rating of a Dickie Greenleaf from the talented Mr. Ripley, which is kind of our second most hot role, um, and this is because we see some papal ass. Twice, actually. <laughs> all right. I have several thoughts about this. Okay. First of all, what a beautiful segment. And I commend you for you. Uh, your genius and brilliance in, in making this segment a reality in our lives. Um, secondly, I I su- fully support your rating of this episode. Okay. Um, but I also, I do think that Dickie Greenleaf from Talented Mr. Ripley or Dan from Closer in the pre-Young Pope era, those, I think, are the two at the highest of my personal mm. Jude Law hotness, hotness scale. Okay. So we're going to obviously defer to your scale Thank for you. the purpose Thank of this. I just want to point out that, you know, we've set a high bar by starting him as Dickie Greenleaf yes. in this particular episode. Um, and then my third point is a question for you. Um, so twice there are scenes of what appears to be papal ass, or what is papal ass, in the first 10 minutes of the Young Pope episode yes. one. Do we think this is Jude Law's ass in I on don't know. Um, that is a really perfectly round butt cheek. I'm not going <laughs> to I, I don't know. Jude Law is a man who's in good shape, but like... That is not the ass of a 47-year-old who has <laughs> But Jude Law kids. himself is not 47, right? Uh, I think he might be older than that. Wow. Some, uh, we love real-time... Uh, podcast Wikipedia. So he's currently 50, born in 72. So, so he's like 46 when they're shooting okay. this. Um, but yeah, an excellent point. Um, didn't know Juba is doing a mustache thing recently. Yes. Um, that's, I don't know how I feel about that. I think that's on the lower end of the scale, but I'm we might have it. to explore this later. I'm here for um, it actually. I'm going to choose to believe. Um, I'm going to take the leap of faith. Like, some people have to take a leap of faith to believe in God. I'm going to take a leap of faith to believe that that is, in fact, Jude Law's ass okay. on screen. It could be a butt double. We don't it know. It could be a butt double. Um, I mean, I think if we were, like, really, really diligent podcasters, we would, like, carefully scan the credits of episode one <laughs> to see if there's a butt double or, you know, or a euphemism butt double um, listed in the credits. <laughs> Um, and maybe, you know, down the line we can look into that, but I'm going to choose to believe. Okay. 
All right. We've got now uh, the final segment. This is familiar to listeners of Not Quite Great Books. It's really one of the foundational elements, um, and that is the cave, a.k.a. the political theory portion of the podcast. Um, So we're going to make a decision here. Um, Well, do you think that Lenny Bellardo is more of an Augustine or Aquinas guy? I don't know. Because, like, that's the, that's the duality, right? Like, either you're right. an Augustine person or you're an Aquinas person. I want to lean towards Augustine. I have a gut instinct towards Augustine. Yeah, because I feel like he doesn't appreciate scholarship all that much. He seems to value action a lot. Yeah. Um, which is a loaded way to look at Augustine doctrine <laughs> also. <laughs> We're being honest. So I'm going to say, I'm going to lean towards Augustine. All right. Nonetheless, for the cave, we're going to go against uh, Pope Lenny's instincts. And I have pulled from my bookshelf in my office uh, the classic blue cover Cambridge version. Um, We love these in political theory, our blue Cambridge versions um, of the political writings collected of Thomas Aquinas. What we're going to do every week here on this podcast is that we're going to randomly open to a page in the Cambridge texts, uh, political writings of Aquinas. Uh, Regan's going to point randomly to somewhere on the page, and that sentence is the basis of the cave. It's all Aquinas all the fucking time in the cave. Right. And our sentence this week comes from, I don't know, uh, 1A2AE96 in the Summa. And here is our Aquinas quote. And every week we will have to connect the random Aquinas quote to this episode. So, Regan, we've got this week. The intention of human law is to lead men to virtue, not suddenly, but step by step. Any immediate thoughts? I've got somewhere I can go with this if you want some time to gather your brilliance. I mean, my gut and instinct that I need to get out now is that Lenny doesn't believe in things going step by step. No. He wants to change now. <laughs> cherry Coke Zero now. Right. Cherry Coke Zero now. Let's not talk of heresies. Yeah. Um, he's not a patient man who is willing to educate others. But I do think the one place where this resonates with the Pope Lenny we get in this episode is him talking about the importance of rights and rights like mm. securing, as he calls it, or if there are rights in place, earth order reigns. Yes. Um, and there's something about like the custom habitual nature of rights and the ritualization and formalization that mm-hmm. I think does the step-by-stepness, right? So in like right. a, you become habituated to it and maybe eventually you like do it not necessarily out of habit, but out of like it has indeed become part of your virtuous core, even if it took the, in this case, divine custom, if not human law, to step-by-step lead you to that virtue. Mm. What a take. No wonder they gave you a doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, you know, I didn't write a dissertation. They're just like, here, here's a random political theory. Here's a random text of pop culture. Do you want to bullshit about it for a couple of minutes? <laughs> and I passed, apparently. And here, many years later, here I am. There you are. That's- and any other thoughts on Aquinas? And this particular Aquinas? Or Aquinas in general. You did go to Aquinas a college, college named after the man himself. Yes. Um, you know, I am, uh, have some fondness for him as the patron saint of scholars, which is why my <laughs> college was named Aquinas College. Fair. Um, I also think the thing that I like about Aquinas the most is that he's pretty self-deprecating. He gave himself the nickname the Dumb Ox, um, which I think is great because this, and this is also why I think Lenny is not an Aquinas <laughs> guy. Um, 
Because he, you know, has a strange relationship with humor, and Aquinas clearly is a man who I think has both feet on the ground as far as yeah. knowing what he's capable of and knowing what he's not capable of. Yeah. Since we're in the cave, I'm going to indulge in like a minute of political theory nonsense, okay. which is like in political theory, one of the ways we read Aquinas is like he is the person who synthesizes Plato, Aristotle, and Christianity, mm-hmm. right? So like there's a particular kind of political philosophical um, uniqueness to him, like putting him in the context of the Platonist or of the Thomas or of the Neoplatonist or of the whatever the fox mm-hmm. um, and so like there's a certain like so if that's Aquinas's role vis-a-vis Christianity then like the person I have to think of Aquinas in relation to is not Augustine um, but Alfarabi right so Alfarabi being somebody who does this like um, very complicated and like quite brilliant synthesis of Plato Aristotle and Islam um, and so like there's some analogy between like the role that Aquinas plays and the role that Alfarabi plays so that's one of my like Aquinas uh, takes I just like that he gave himself the nickname Tomas. <laughs> Look, that's clearly number one on the level of importance. Right. And oh, like okay. Number, I don't know, 18 is like synthesized Plato, Aristotle, right. Christianity. Um, so Danielle and I like to play the game where do we leave person we're uh, taking with us to the cave in the cave or does he come back out of the cave with us? Clearly Aquinas, as Danielle would say, is chained to the fucking wall of the cave. Yes. Permanently for the 10 episodes yes. of uh, He's Not stuck. Quite Great Books, Popecast. All right, so we've got our final mini segment within the cave, and that is Theory Ship, which is really Regan-inspired. If we think yes. back to your Moon Knight appearance, um, that was the, the introduction, um, the window through which Theory Ship entered the Not Quite Books uh, universe. So I turn it over to you to do our third, first Theory Ship yes. of Young Pope. <laughs> Um, so, um, the idea of theory shift is that we are shipping or, um, in shift in, in fan studies, which is what I do as like my, my pet hobby in academia, uh, shipping is where you want two characters to be together romantically. Sometimes, um, you can friendship them also. It depends. But here we are recommending, um, theory people for the, our characters to read. Yes. Um, so my choice is that I feel that Voyello needs to read, um, art historian Valperga anti Antel Weisler. Um, who's not really a theorist. We're or, coming. Um, we're, okay. He's not, yeah, not really a theorist, but um, he demonstrates a really antiquated um, view of the Venus of Willendorf. So I think he needs to do some reading on why the Venus of Willendorf is so important from a woman's perspective. Yeah, I strongly support that theory ship. Um, I'm going to be much more boring. Um, one of the jokes of Not Quite Great Books podcast is that theory ship is really just a way for me to assign Foucault to people. <laughs> so I'm going to continue that and give some of, I'm going to give specifically the power knowledge collected volume of interviews uh, and like um, essay writings of Foucault. And I'm going to assign that to a bunch of fucking people. We're giving it to Lenny. Okay. We're giving it to Voyello. All right. We're giving it to Gutierrez. Okay. And we're also going and give it to like the I forget the Amatucci like Voyello's you know like you know, yeah his little miscreant operator yeah. miscreant better term for that um, yeah all of them get Foucault okay because all of you know there's actually even like an explicit line about knowledge being power within the con- confines of the Vatican um, so like it's not a, it's not quite as much of a, of a reach as it usually is for this uh, segment but you know imagine that I fear you should Foucault to someone 
more I'm things change, shocked. the more things stay the same. Right. <laughs> wow. Regan, we did it. We did it twice. Right. We twice, did it twice. We have recorded an episode on Young Pope episode one. Right. Sometimes you gotta you, um, have a second draft. That's why Eve rolled around. <laughs> Great one thing is pretty good. You need a second draft. That's better. Yeah. Um, do we think, do you think we did a better job on this one? It's way more focused. <laughs> <laughs> It's generous to us um, over the last hour and a half of our life, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. Are you feeling good about continuing on this voyage oh, yes. of the young Pope? I'm glad to hear it. So thank you to Regan for joining me uh, while Danielle is, you know, living a mama mia dream, living the dream in Greece. She was, you know, as I believe just this week as as we're recording this, was in London to see Harry Styles for the second time in the past twelve months. Must be fucking nice. Yeah. Um, I got some pictures of uh, her seeing Harry Styles at Wembley Stadium. So she was Amazing. living it up in Athens and like took a little jaunt to London to see Harry. What a lifestyle. Yeah. That's right. We're going to the cure tomorrow. So you know what? That's, That's pretty fucking cool in its own right. Right. And at the end of the summer, we're going to see the Arctic Monkeys. That's right. Uh, so just bring, you know, give us all your Brits um, who are angsty and masculine in various ways. Um, yeah. So thank you to Regan. Thank you to Danielle. Thank you to producer Amy. And until next time, you've been listening to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Danielle Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time. Go play some racquetball.